Good evening. We'll be looking this evening at 1 John and chapter 1 and the first four verses. It's 1 John 1 verses 1 to 4. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched, this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, and we have seen it, and testified to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father, and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father, and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you uh, that you have revealed yourself to us, that we can read these words uh, written as a man was carried along by the Holy Spirit some 2,000 years ago, and they speak to us now, just as they did to those who first heard them with authority and with truth that will not uh, wear out or uh, become uh, unimportant, but uh, has the power now as it did then to transform us. I pray that you would be with us as we look at your word and that we would uh, see your glory and goodness in it and that you would transform us. We want to be like our Savior and I pray that you would, you would bring that about through uh, what we do here this evening. In your name, amen. Well, I should point out to begin with uh, that these words are like a summary uh, or a a topic sentence for what John's going to be speaking of in the rest of his epistle. He's he's laying out at the beginning of the epistle, here's why I'm writing to you. He's going to be revealing to us uh, Jesus Christ, this incarnate Son of God, and the implications that his incarnation and his work on our behalf has uh, for us. So, uh, if we were to look through all of 1 John, we would see that theme developed and explained and expounded upon. Uh, we'll, of course, only be looking at these first four verses this evening. And I see two things that I want to bring to your attention in this, uh, this introduction. Uh, first off, John's uh, writing in response to a great reality, a great uh, problem that confronts mankind. And he's going to tell us what God has done to respond to that problem. So those are the two, the two main points that we'll, be, that we'll be talking about this evening. Now, the problem is implicit in the text. Uh, we see here, uh, John says uh, in verse 3, We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us, and our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Now, uh, if you uh, were spending a good evening with a friend of yours, and some some other, some third friend, some mutual acquaintance came along and said, well, uh, I'm here to reunite the two of you and bring you back into fellowship with one another, you might say, well, that's not really necessary. Is it because we're, the fellowship already exists? The fellowship isn't isn't broken. Uh, or you could imagine, uh, perhaps, you, if you had been uh, a rebel along with other rebels against your king, and had uh, 
broken relationship with him and were alienated from him. And then uh, one of those fellow rebels uh, with which he had participated, uh, the king had graciously made terms of peace with him, brought him back into a state where they could be uh, at one with one another, be uh, in union with one another. The problem of alienation had been dealt with. And then he sent that former rebels and emissaries said, go, go to these other people who have rebelled against me and bring this, this good news that uh, you have been restored to fellowship with me and that, uh, that they can have fellowship with me again too. And that's the sort of case that uh, John is talking about here. Uh, something had happened in uh, the life of the apostles uh, that had restored them to fellowship with God. And so, you know, John says that they have fellowship with uh, the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And He's coming uh, to others. And He's saying, you can have fellowship too. And so implicit in that, embedded in that, is this great reality that mankind has a problem. And that problem is alienation from God. The problem is that we're not in fellowship with God the way that we're supposed to be. And so, uh, John's purpose for writing is, is to respond to that problem. He his fellow apostles, those who have been known by God, they have that fellowship restored. And he's writing uh, so that uh, we can join them in that fellowship. We can have that fellowship too with the Father and with, with the Son. So that's the, uh, that's the problem. You know, uh, mankind was made to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. That's the, the great purpose uh, for which mankind was made. That's the creation norm. Uh, for mankind, we were we were to be in fellowship with God. You can imagine uh, Adam and Eve then in the Garden of Eden when uh, before the fall, they're living in this just this paradise. There's an unspoiled creation full of delights, full of things to know and understand, and and uh, then Adam and Eve are living there in the Garden of God, this paradisal place that God had made uh, for them to for them to live in. And uh, they're doing the work that God's given them to do, and it's untroubled by, by all the ills of the fall. Just a wonderful paradisal state. And then there's this, just this pinnacle of their experience. In the cool of the day, God comes and walks with them, communes with them. This is a state of man. This is how mankind was designed uh, to function. A creature uh, in participation with and in fellowship with by his creator, a creature made in the image of his creator, so that uh, so that he didn't, you know, the um, all the other things that God made. You know, there are uh, plants and animals and all those things. In some way, uh, you could say, have a reciprocal relationship with God. God quickens uh, things to life and causes plants to grow and uh, causes animals to. Uh, grow and to be able to do the, the, all the things that they need to do to, to live and to be. And they, by their existence, testify to God's greatness and they glorify God. But mankind is unique in that creation because unlike all those other uh, creatures, all those other aspects of creation, mankind is made in the image of God uh, with the ability to commune with God in a special and unique way to... Uh, to see God's greatness and His glory uh, and the perfections of His being and to delight in it and those things in a way that, that a tree or an elephant 
uh, isn't suited to, to, to the light. Uh, God could come and he could speak to Adam and Eve. He could give them a commission. He could explain to them, this is how you can live in a way that's fruitful and bountiful and peaceful. This is, this is how uh, I will relate to you. This is how you can relate to me. So mankind's made in this, in this unique way to have uh, fellowship with God. And our first parents enjoyed that. They experienced that. And then you know, God would come to them and, and be with them uh, uh, in the cool of the day. And they would, you could imagine that just being the, the pinnacle, the highest delight of all the delights of, of creation. That's the, that's the norm for mankind. That's the way mankind was designed to function. That's where mankind finds his greatest uh, expression, his greatest uh, fulfillment of what it means for him to be uh, the creature that God made him to be. It's in fellowship with God, in communion with God. And uh, that was the state of man. And then uh, we know how the story went. There was this, this terrible circumstance that resulted in not fellowship with God, but alienation from God. Uh, and uh, it's important to note uh, right off that it's not just some catastrophe that came along and caught Adam and Eve unawares. It's not as though they were going along, you know, and some accident happened that resulted in this disunity, in this uh, breaking of fellowship between God and man. Uh, Adam and Eve willfully sinned against God. And that fellowship that they were designed to have was broken. And that's the reality that John's speaking to. Uh, so Adam and Eve, rather than uh, going out and meeting God, oh, here's, here's our creator. We're going to be right, right with him, just, just before the face of God and delight in his presence. Instead, they, they run and hide and cover themselves and uh, invent lies and blame one another. And everything that it meant, everything that was at the core of what it meant to be the creature that God made mankind to be on that day was lost. That's the, that's the alienation. That's the breaking of fellowship that John's addressing. That's the emergency uh, to which God is responding. I was thinking of the, uh, the passage in Ephesians 4, Describing, uh, that was describing the state of man. Ephesians 4.18 says, They're darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Can you imagine what, uh, what a uh, profound and dreadful assessment that is of creatures made to fellowship with God? That one great central thing is cut off. They're alienated, alienated from God. And then uh, Romans, Romans 1, verses 21 to 23, you'll be familiar with these words as well. Uh, For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Now, can you imagine uh, just the, 
the beginning of that, that downward spiral of mankind is it was made to, to speak with God and commune with God and fellowship with God and, and respond to God's greatness by adoring him. And uh, just this initial, uh, he exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images. I'm wanting to uh, impress upon my mind and, and see how how uh, wrong and uh, backward this is from what God designed us to be. Uh, Isaiah somewhere, um, he, he's describing the folly of, of the idolater. And, um, various times he describes the idolater he's building his idol. And one of the times when he says, well, you know, he, he builds an idol that won't topple. You know, he's like, oh, look at this, fellows. I, I attached this one to a real sturdy base. Look, I can push it and it just stands back up. It won't fall down. That's, well, there's, a, there's something to worship, right? Uh, that's, that's the folly of, of exchanging the glory of the immortal God for images, images of any kind. They can't even respond to you. You can't pour out your heart to them, and they, they respond to you, and they give you reassurance of uh, their care for you. They, they can't reveal themselves to you. They can't speak to you through their word. They're, they're just mute, they're just images. That's the, that's the folly that man falls into when, when he's alienated from God. And then if you, if you go on through this description, you see it just gets worse and worse. They exchange the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man. Well, mortal man is certainly no uh, match for the immortal God by way of praiseworthiness or, or uh, someone to commune with. But you, know, you can understand, at least, man was made in the image of God, and it's impressive. You can see the statues of Ares or Zeus or Aphrodite in a temple. And, and impressive. Look at, the, look at the elegant form and the strength and the representation of this being who, who exercises so much authority over the world. It's, just not, it's, a, it's a large step down, though, from fellowship with the immortal God. Then it gets worse. Uh, images resembling mortal man and birds. Well, maybe those are majestic, not perhaps as majestic as mankind, but you can picture the, the eagles uh, on the uh, standards of the Roman legions, majestic and soaring through the heavens. And Oh, that's impressive, I suppose. It's somewhere, something to worship, but nothing nothing like being in fellowship and communion with the immortal God. And then it goes down from there to animals. There's beasts that run about on the earth. Uh, uh, hideous images of uh, forms with uncouth limbs and the heads of elephants or dogs. Things like that. Men can bow down and prostrate themselves before that, because they're alienated from the God that they were designed to know and to worship. And then, uh, in the sort of final step down, creeping things. So they're uh, reptilian and frightful things that mankind would prostrate himself to. These are the, the asps on the, on the headgear and the staves of Egyptian potentates. The uh, things from which people... Uh, 
naturally recoil in horror. And that's the degradation. That's the downward spiral of mankind who is designed to uh, be in communion with God. And being alienated from God finds himself uh, worshipping and serving and prostrating himself before and supplicating and, and speaking to and burning incense to uh, things that are not God at all. And so that's the state of man in his natural condition. And then if we were to look through First uh, John farther, uh, we would see all the dimensions of the ugliness that results from and contributes to this alienation from God. We would see lying. We would see uh, idolatry. We would see the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life. We would see all of the evil effects that are found in this world as a result of the fact that we're cut off from God, as a result of this, this great and awful truth that John's writing uh, to, writing to address. And where that leaves us is uh, that without God's intervention, without the incarnation that John's going to talk about, that's the state we're in. We're cut off from God. We're alienated from Him. The fellowship that we were designed to have with Him is lost. And uh, missing that chief end uh, doesn't matter. Uh, in a sense, what other good things we do, what other things we get right. I, I used to drive past a house one summer for, for whatever reason my path this one summer kept on leading me past a house uh, toward mountaintop of a great lovely estate broad and spreading ground uh, a big driveway curving up to the entrance huge portico and columns there and big impressive doorway and an arched window above it and a beautiful chandelier hanging there in the in, in the doorway and uh, the most expensive kind of roofing on the roof of it and uh, brilliant plans and all, all the uh, all the service elements of the house, the electricity and the plumbing and all run in underground. So it would just be a marvelous estate. And it was sad to see because it never achieved the end for which it was created. Uh, it was never finished. Perhaps the owners moved away. Uh, perhaps they passed away. Perhaps it was a young family and they uh, disbanded and, and there was uh, no more... Whatever, for whatever reason, the house never fulfilled the thing for which it was made. It was designed to be a place that was inhabited by people. It was designed to be a commodious residence uh, for a family. And it never did that. It sat there and weeds grew up here and there and bits fell off. And there were some holes in the walls where windows were designed to be that were never uh, put in, never constructed. And it didn't matter at that point uh, if the architecture was brilliant. It didn't matter if the carpenters who built the walls built them out of the best materials and built them plumb and true uh, and firm. It didn't matter uh, if all the spaces inside the house were perfectly planned. It didn't matter if, if the excavators had done a brilliant job excavating and if the masons had built a true and strong foundation. None of that mattered because the house never did the thing for which the house was built. 
it was ultimately futile. And that's, that's the state of man after the fall. That's the state of man that John is addressing here. Uh, he's writing because mankind is in a state of emergency, being alienated from God, having lost fellowship with God. And he's coming with this, with this message. He's saying, God has restored fellowship between man and God. We know. He's come to us. He's, he's revealed himself to us. Uh, and he's, he's brought to us the terms of peace. He's achieved that peace. And we're, br- we're bringing this message to you so that you can join in this fellowship, so that you can be uh, united again to the God for, who, for whom you were created. Now, uh, some of you have known that redemption. Some of you here have known that redemption. You know uh, what it is to be back in fellowship with the Father. You yearn for it more. And when you, when you think on where you were before God had revealed himself to you and where you are now, your heart rejoices. I was talking to uh, a brother a couple months ago who was a new acquaintance and just talking to him about how did you come to know God. And he had, he had become a Christian just a couple of years before. And he said, before I was a Christian, I was like a dead man walking. It was like, it was like coming to life from the dead. And if you've known God, if you've known that restoration of fellowship, you know you know exactly what he's talking about. You know what it is, is to, to finally, you have a way to f- fulfill that purpose for which God made you. It's possible for you again to glorify God and enjoy him forever. It's possible for you to have fellowship uh, with God. Uh, you, you read something like Psalm uh, 73. Uh, uh, Whom have I in heaven but you, and having you I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail me, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Uh, or I was caught by the words that Carl led us in uh, this evening from Psalm 63. Uh, you read words like this and doesn't, doesn't your heart just leap up and say, yes, that's, that's what I've known in the kindness of God. And, uh, oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you and my body longs for you in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary and beheld your power and glory because your love is better than life, my lips will glorify you. And if you've known that restoration of fellowship, doesn't your heart just, just jump up and say, oh, that's, that's what I want. That's, that's what I long for. Oh, if I was more consistent in that. Oh, if I, if I had that more in my reading of the scriptures. If I had that more in my prayer life. If I had that more in my daily, in my daily life as I do the work and the, and the recreation that I do. If I was more in fellowship with God. If I... If I, if I was always beholding his glory, if I was always just, just knowing that, that unbroken fellowship with God, that's what you yearn for. Some of you here tonight, you haven't known that. You're still in the, in the state uh, that was described in those verses that I read before. Cut off from the life of God. And, and uh, if you are, don't stay there. Uh, it's not what you were made for. And you won't, you, won't find, you won't find a way to be the creature that God made you to be apart from that. Well, that's the problem. That's what John is writing to uh, address. And then uh, we have, well, what did, what did God do? What did God do to, um, to restore us? And 
John says uh, that the Son of God came incarnate into this world. We have these words, uh, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at, and our hands have touched. This we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life, was peer, uh, the life appeared, and we have seen it and testified to it, and proclaimed to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. And it's necessary to point out then at the beginning that this is the second person of the Trinity that John's talking about. This is the Son of God. This is one who always had fellowship with the Father, back and back and back, age upon age, all the way. There's not even a way to say it. Our, 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 languages, our, our different languages have phrases that we come up with that are like metaphysical phrases to try to describe what's, what's all the way. If you could just keep on going back and back, we say world, uh, things like world without end to point in the other direction or, or uh, encycula cyclorum in Latin or ace tone ionon in Greek where words that are it's just a way to say age upon age, all the way back. The son had, had fellowship with, with the father. Uh, and he came into this world incarnate and uh, what I want to emphasize to us tonight is that what he brought for us and earned for us and achieved for us was not essentially the fact that he had always been with the Father and always had fellowship with the Father, that divine fellowship that exists between the persons of the Trinity. But he came and became a man like us so that he could achieve in our place the fellowship with the Father of a man who lived and obeyed and fellowshiped with God. You see that emphasis in, uh, the, in the very beginning here of what John says. Uh, that which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked at and our hands have touched. Uh, this we proclaim to you concerning the word of life. This was... This was a, a man who lived in this world in a body like ours. Uh, the disciples could, could take him by the hand, could, could embrace him, hold him to them. He was a, an incarnate human being. He didn't just come you know, like a, uh, a stone skipping across the surface of a pond. You know, and it just sort of touches down and, and bounces along. Or, or like a, like a, a raid by... Um, by special forces, you know, there's, there's some emergency and they come zooming in and they take care of what the problem is and they zoom out. They barely touch the ground. It's in, in and gone. It wasn't like that. Uh, there wasn't, there wasn't uh, a way for the human righteousness that we need to stand in our place unless the Son became incarnate and here in this world, uh, believed God, and obeyed God, and fellowshiped with God, and uh, built and developed uh, for us the, uh, the righteousness that we need. And so you know, he, wasn't, he wasn't like a stone skipping across the surface. He was like he went down and down and down and down into it. And he, became, he became a collection of cells in the womb of the Hebrew maid. And he was born like any other human being was born. Bone of our bone, flesh of our flesh. And he came uh, as a man into this world 
with all the troubles, with all the exigencies, with all the limitations of the human body, the human mind, the human psychology, the human way of thinking and learning and knowing and believing. Uh, you can imagine as he was just a little boy growing up and he learned to speak the language of his day and to read and he could he could open a scroll and with eyes like ours and optic nerves and a brain like ours that processes information he read it and understood it and grew in his maturity and his wisdom uh, it says you know that uh, after the scene in the temple um, you know when he was uh, already uh, amazing the teachers in the temple and he went back home and he was obedient to his parents and he grew in wisdom and stature and favor with God and man. That was the kind of earning of, of uh, everything that we needed on his, on his part. Uh, and so uh, he could read something like Isaiah 53 and understand this is what it's going to mean for me to be the Messiah. I'm going to suffer like this passage describes as a sin bearer. And uh, he could believe that the, the last half of Isaiah 53 would be true. That the Father would raise him from the dead. That uh, after the suffering of his soul, he would see the light of life and be satisfied. He could, as a man, read uh, Psalm 22. In the first half, always speaks of the suffering of God's servant. And is crying out for help. And then he could believe, he could... He could he could face the fact that this is, this is what it's going to be for me to do the work of the Lamb of God. And he could believe uh, the second half of Psalm 22 uh, that, um, that uh, he would live and declare God's name to his brothers and that he would, he would be victorious. Uh, I'm saying all that to say that the righteousness that we need the restoration of fellowship that we need with the Father was a hard-earned fellowship on the part of a man, the Son of God, with, with everything that it is to be a man added to him, given God's Spirit without measure, so that he could achieve for us and restore for us the fellowship that we had broken by our indefensible lives. Uh, you see that in, in um, Hebrews 5. Uh, Hebrews 5. These words are so astonishing, astonishing to me. It says, In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And I want to point out there, just as I'm going along, this is, this is the Son, this is this man, Jesus, speaking to the Father, in fellowship with the Father, communing with the Father, pouring out his heart, to the Father. Uh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who, who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Uh, in other words, uh, it was the work of 
of believing the Father, of fellowshipping with the Father, of hearing God speak to him through God's word, through his revelation of himself, of uh, praying and pouring out his heart uh, to the Father. It was uh, with all the ordinary apparatus of a human mind and human body and human psychology and uh, what it means for someone to believe God and entrust himself to God, that kind of entrusting that says, says, I know you. I can depend on you. I can, I can cast myself on you. And, and receiving back from God his, his assurance of his goodness. It was, it was the development and the nurturing and the sustaining of that fellowship with God is one aspect of what, what Jesus' life of righteousness here achieved on our behalf. Uh, so that the, uh, the, son, the Son had access to the Father. He could speak to the Father. He could, he could, he could say to the Father, Oh, Father, give me, give me this. And the Father would hear him. Uh, you, know, you and I, we couldn't go. I couldn't go boldly into God's presence in my own name and say, oh, well, God, I want you to give me this and that. I, I, I pray this. I, I, I almost hesitate to say it. I, I pray this in the name of Aaron. Give me, we, we can't do that. I can't bring the goodness of my fellowship with God into God's presence and be heard because of my reverence. But Jesus could. He could say to his disciples, whatever you ask of in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. Because Jesus has the ear of the Father. He has fellowship with the Father. Well, that was, uh, that was the righteousness that, uh, that, that Jesus brought for us. That was the restoration of, of fellowship with the Father that Jesus earned for us. He would go out and spend nights in prayer to the Father. He would, he would read the scriptures so that he knew it and he could be, he could be handed a scroll in a synagogue, and oh, you wouldn't be like, oh, I wonder, what am I going to talk? Because he knew the scriptures, because he had fellowship with God, and he, he knew his Father. And that's, uh, that's almost the end of, of the story. Uh, two more things. This Jesus, the Son of God, who had always had fellowship with the Father before the worlds were made, and who, in the days of this life, developed and sustained and nurtured and built this fellowship with the Father that uh, was, was adequate and plentiful and complete for, to, to stand in our stead. He brought that and all of his obedience on our behalf. He brought it to the Father. Never one thing in this man impeachable. Never one thing wrong. Never one time when he, when he, he said, well, I, I'm not willing to follow you, Father, in that. Never one time when he, when he read some portion of the Scripture and, and God was, was speaking to him the way that God teaches us. and He said, well, I, I can't believe that. I can't trust you here. Always, always doing the will of, 
of the Father, always hearing of the Father, always speaking the words of the Father, always in fellowship with the Father. He brought all of that in my place and your place to God. It was absolutely perfect. He presented it to God as an atoning sacrifice. And the Father, the Father turned his back on him. As one would say, depart from me, I never knew you. Can you imagine? Uh, He was bearing our sin. We and all our fathers have gone astray. We've been alienated from God. We've been cut off from God. There was no way for us in ourselves to restore that relationship. And this, this perfect man came and he achieved that for us. And because he was bearing our sins, the Father turned away from him as though he was the one who, was, who couldn't come before God. He was, he was rejected by the Father. Can you imagine? For, for our sakes. And, and there, there he bore our sins and he was, he was the Lamb of God. And uh, then I, I'm so thankful to say uh, the story goes on. Uh, after the suffering of his soul, he did see the light of life and was satisfied uh, because he hadn't sinned, because he had always perfectly obeyed the Father, loved the Father, and fellowship with the Father. The Father accepted his sacrifice. And Jesus rose from the dead. And... Uh, I can't imagine every time I think of it. I imagine this this man coming up out of the out of the grave. Can you can you imagine just the he's the new and everlasting man, never to die again, uh, never never again to experience the rejection of the Father, never again to have fellowship with the Father broken, and and to to bring into fellowship with with himself and and the Father this, this countless multitude of redeemed. And he, he ascends to heaven. Father says, you're my son. Today I've begotten. You ask of me and I'll, I'll give you the nations as your inheritance. The uttermost parts of the earth is your treasured possession. He goes to heaven and what does he do there? That fellowship, that union with the Father. He's, he's still speaking on our behalf. I don't know how to, I don't know how, how to, to, to talk to God the way that that I should. I don't know how to, how to speak sometimes. Uh, sometimes. Sometimes I would be ashamed. I would hang my head because of my many impeachable deeds. And there's the, there's the son with his unbroken fellowship with the father. He's speaking to him on my behalf. And the relationship's restored. It's, it's brought back together. This is, the, this is the marvelous message that John has for us. He's just going to expound it further and further through, through his epistle. Uh, but he has, he has restored fellowship between God and all of his redeemed. And so I, I say, uh, for those of you who know him, rejoice in him. And make that, this is the great central thing of your life. There's nothing with, with greater priority than being in fellowship with God. There's, there's nothing 
nothing, uh, nothing that, well, you know, I'll get to that fellowship thing later. Maybe I'll find some time for that today. Uh, maybe I can carve out a half an hour for that here or there in my day. This is the great central thing in my life. If you've known God, you, you want that more. You want that more and more. You want, you just want every every part of your life suffused with, with fellowship with God. Everything that you do, that you find yourself, that, that you would say if it could be portrayed, you say, "I wish that wasn't me." Uh, you, you want less of that. You want none of it, because you don't want anything to come between you and God. You don't want to, to grieve the Holy Spirit. And for those of you who. I have not known this willing, able, and powerful Savior. Don't remain in that place. You can't restore fellowship with God yourself. You can't come into His presence on your own. And you will. Unavoidably, there is the inevitable reality of each of our eventual deceased and judgment. And God has, God has brought into the world this Savior who can restore your fellowship with Him. It's what you were made for. The uh, prophet said, Seek the Lord while He may be found. Call on Him while He's near. Let the wicked forsake His way and let the evil man forsake his evil thoughts and let him turn to the Lord for He will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will freely pardon. Lord, I pray that you would bless the hearing of your word. We are so thankful for you, for your goodness to us, our hearts, when we see your, your goodness and your kindness, and we see uh, the, the terrible emergency out of which you have uh, brought us and, and not just, not just barely made us a way to eke out an existence before you, but brought us into, into fellowship with you and sonship with you and, and uh, we can commune with you forever and ever. Lord, how our hearts are thankful. I pray, I pray that that would be on our hearts. You would not let us move away from it or, or grow cold to it or forget it, but that, uh, that you would, you would uh, just uh, pour over us our sense of, of gratitude and thankfulness for so great a salvation. In your name, amen. Before we come to the Lord's table, let's sing of this, this love that is better than life. This wondrous love in hymn number 261. Hymn number 261.
Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, He became flesh. He dwelt among us. 